Welcome to the C21 Podcast. My name's Jonathan Weddale. Today we hear from Metaphysics' Tom Graham, Toon to Tango's Joe Darris and 16 South's Colin Williams about the impact of artificial intelligence on the TV business. And from Warner Brothers' discovery Zia Sands about the latest developments in the Cartoon Network owner's EMEA Kids division. Artificial intelligence remains a hot topic within the TV industry, with the technology at the heart of the US writers and actors' strikes and scribes, including Game of Thrones' George R.R. R. Martin, last week filing a class-action lawsuit against ChatGPT creator OpenAI over copyright infringement. Others, however, see upside in such tools, with scope for bringing efficiencies to the production process, democratising access to the kind of special effects previously the preserve of Hollywood, and even allowing people to appear in their own versions of well-known movies. Tom Graham is Chief Executive and Co-Founder of Metaphysic, a UK-based generative AI startup behind the recent deepfake Tom Cruise videos that went viral on social media platform TikTok. He was among the speakers at the Royal Television Society Cambridge Convention last week and he spoke there with Neil Beatty. I'm here with Tom Graham. He's the CEO and co-founder of Metaphysic, which is described as a digital likeness protection platform. Don't know if you agree with that or not, Tom, but welcome to RTS Cambridge. Can you tell us a little bit about Metaphysic and what the services the company provides exactly? So Metaphysic, um, we're kind of the leaders in creating uh, AI-generated content that looks exactly like the real world. Um, And one of the things that we also do is, because you need data to train algorithms, our product, Metaphysic Pro, helps people um, own and control their data sets, manage their AI likeness, um, exactly as you described before. And you've just spoken at a panel entitled AI Friend of Foe. Which one are you? I, you know, come from a legal background where, you know, you focus on thinking about institutions and how technology and people interact. Um, So I don't think there's a friend or foe with AI. It is a set of technologies which will fundamentally change the world. And as humans, we have to find a way to continue to be human, to look after each other um, and to build a positive world in light of, you know, rapid technological change. Um, I've just been, you know, listening to the panel and you gave a very, very exciting glimpse of how TV content might be in two, five, ten years time with the benefits of AI and next gen um, t- technology. Can you, for the for, for our kind of listeners who, who didn't see the panel, can you just tell me a little bit how TV might look in a few years time? So I think that um, from an audience's perspective, generative AI will allow people to create more content for less money. So from an audience's perspective, there'll be probably, maybe not two years from now, just because how long it takes to make shows, but there'll be more interesting content that is more specific, more targeted, more things will get made. um, And I think that will be good for audiences ultimately. And you also mentioned that the kind of amazing special effects we see on Hollywood blockbusters at the moment that cost a lot of money, they could be made by someone in their basement in, in a few few years' time. Can you just expand on that? And also you mentioned that people might be able to even star in their own version of Star Wars. Yeah, so um, creating really high-quality content um, is traditionally very difficult and expensive. We're talking about Hollywood, VFX, and CGI. But um, in the future, with generative AI, some of those uh, processes um, can be much cheaper and much more straightforward but you still need humans to create the content or actors and humans to do the performance that create the fundamental base layer 
um, for any kind of effect that you put on top of it. So I think that we may see an acceleration of the virtuous cycle of um, cheaper effects frees up more money to do more performance to create more shows, which allows people to do more effects, etc., etc. And you also talked about in interactivity, which, of course, the younger generation are already, you know, completely obsessed with in terms of social media. How will they interact with, with next-gen AI? So I think that, um, again, from the audience's perspective, young people, the younger generation, people 25 and below, uh, you care about the experience. It's the experience of um, the social experience of interacting with content, that's gaming, etc. Um, if you can be in traditional linear content like Star Wars or something like that with your friends, that's even more interesting. And then if it's like interactive, like a game, um, there'll just be a convergence. There'll be no difference between um, feature films and games. Um, we will have content generation engines and technology sometime in the future, which will be kind of like Holodeck from Star Trek. Uh, they'll be that immersive. Okay. And Metaphysic rose to fame as a result of the viral deep fake of Tom Cruise on TikTok. Um, was, that, was that a kind of publicity stunt or did you want to achieve more through that? I mean, were you happy with the reaction? I mean, hundreds of millions of people were... I mean, I remember seeing it on my Instagram feed and thinking, what the heck is this? Um, deep fake Tom Cruise or deep Tom Cruise at deep Tom Cruise on TikTok started as an art project um, between my co-founders Chris Ume and Miles Fisher. Miles Fisher provides the performance and Chris Ume um, is one of the leaders of the community of people using algorithms to create content and so um, it existed for quite some time before we got together and created a company to build the technology and infrastructure to scale photorealistic content to everyone on earth um, and to focus on that mission of building ethical pathways and economies to allow regular people to be empowered if suddenly it's easy to put regular people in content. And did you, is, am I right in saying that you were also involved in the ABBA, con the ABBA concerts and also America's Got Talent? Can you tell us a little bit about those two ventures? So ABBA Voyage, which is such a fantastic show, um, a large number of people in our team, they worked on that and supervised that, um, the little AI part of that which happened just at the end. Um, they did that at Disney before they came to Metaphysic. So many of the people that I work with um, have a deep experience of that project um, and it's such a fantastic result. Um, America's Got Talent. Um, they uh, asked if we would like to be a contestant or, or they asked if we wanted to do something fun. Um, and we're like, okay, what could it be? And then they said, well, you could just be a contestant. And like, well, well, you know, gobsmacked, I don't know what to do with that. Um, don't have any talent, certainly not America. Um, and so uh, it turned out that we could create these fun performances like bringing Elvis back to life or having Simon Cowell sing opera. Uh, and it was a hit. Uh, well, if you can impress Simon Cowell, you must be doing something right. I mean, let's. Um, I mean, I, th I think it would be fair to say the TV content industry is both bedazzled and terrified by AI. Um, do you feel that after some initial hostility, TV, the TV sector is starting to warm up a little bit? Um, I would say that uh, I would hope that there is still a lot of scepticism and worry about what AI means for people who create content or involved in content from actors all the way through to broadcasters because we have not as a society explored what can happen so we need more discussion we need more anxiety that is a good human response to a technology that can really deeply impact our lives 
Um, I think we should have more of that. Sure. And we obviously know already what the technology can achieve. I mean, it's uncanny what the images you see. You can't tell the difference between AI and a real person now. But I mean, obviously there are there are issues regarding copyright and people retaining their intellectual property. What's your argument when it comes to matters such as those? Um, I think that it is incredibly important for our society that fundamentally we establish a system where individuals need to provide their consent if they if their data is used to create a version of them visually or their voice etc by a third party um, in the same way that we control our bodies in the real world we should be able to control our bodies in a digital world and the more realistic the digital world the more blurry the lines between real world reality and digital reality to the point where it just is reality. Sure, and finally, um, obviously the, the, there's a couple of strikes going on in America at the moment, the Writers Guild and also the SAG-AFTRA. A big component of that is AI and um, matters surrounding it. Where do you hope that lands in, in your view, um, looking forward to the future for AI and obviously for your own company? I think that um, the strikes born out of um, challenging economics of creating content over the last five to seven years, the streaming era, um, come at a really important time because it gives people and that industry a chance to talk about the impact of AI also. Um, I think that human performance, there's some genius embedded in human performance in the process of creating together and the way that actors interact with directors, etc., that we can't create with AI. We can put something on top of human performance um, and make it a little bit different or maybe create a young version of somebody on top of their performance. But where people are worried about changes in that industry, uh, it is important to be worried um, because there will be changes to how content is created. And so we all need to work hard. You know, the people affected, unions, studios, the industry as a whole, regulators, to help people, regular people, um, in workforces, and this is not just entertainment, but across all sectors of the economy which are going to be impacted by AI, um, we have to protect people and their livelihoods. And Because what else are we doing? Like, there are profit motives and making things cheaper, etc. But ultimately, um, at the core of, I think, the entertainment industry is people. And that is sacrosanct. Tom, it's been fascinating speaking to you. Uh, good luck with everything and thanks. Thanks very much. Thank you so much for having a chat. Cartoon Forum took place in Toulouse last week, Europe's preeminent animated TV pitching and co-pro confab featuring a thousand broadcasters, investors and other potential partners from 40 countries. Among those attending was Zia Sands, Acquisitions, Partnerships and Co-Productions lead in the EMEA Kids and Family division at Warner Brothers Discovery, a company that's been through considerable upheaval since its creation last year. The firm has undertaken a major strategic review of all its operations, including children's channels Cartoon Network, Boomerang and Cartoonito. Sands spoke with Carolina Kaminska at the event. I'm Zia Sands and I'm Lead Acquisitions, Co-Productions and Partnerships across our kids and family content for Warner Brothers Discovery EMEA. And so Cartoon Forum, why do you come here? What do you like about the event? It's such a lovely event. It's all about the projects, it's all about the creative 
and it's such a huge opportunity for us to really immerse ourselves in European animation and that is something that's super important to us at one of the discovery especially for EMEA and it's such a wonderful opportunity for us to discover projects really at that organic inception stage where things are starting to be brought together and it's a wonderful opportunity for us to meet potential co-production partners and as I said to discover projects nice and early which we really like. Have you been here many times before? Been quite a few times I haven't been counting but uh, it's always an event that we really look forward to and me especially personally really enjoy. As I said, it's, it just is about the actual shows themselves, it's about the producers, it's really kind of bringing it back into focus, uh, less about maybe meetings and um, you know back-to-back -back kind of 30-minute sessions and more about just really immersing ourselves in the content and you know, animation, which is wonderful. Okay, um, so do you want to tell us a little bit about what's going on at the company at the moment or what you're working on? Sure, so we've been um, you know, through quite an interesting period at One Brothers Discovery recently, lots of um, just big change in the industry in general and um, it's been an exciting opportunity for us to really dive into preschool. I think that's one of the most exciting things that we've had this year. So we've rolled out Cartoonito across EMEA. So previously we had uh, Boomerang and Cartoon Network as our kind of flagship linear networks and now Cartoonito and Cartoon Network are really where we're positioning ourselves and where we're looking for content for our audiences across EMEA. So Cartoonito for us is you know, a really key opportunity to really dive into European animation and to find co-production partners for projects that we like to come on board with at an early stage. We're targeting four to six year olds, so that kind of upper preschool audience with recognisable known IP, comedy and entertainment being utmost in terms of what we're looking for um, and you know those charming lovable cute characters that our audiences are going to want to be friends with they're going to want to watch and get to know um, and just really excited about getting a new opportunity to find content that could fit into that space for us. What are some of the key shows on your slate at the moment? So we're really fortunate that we have just launched a whole raft of Cartoonito shows uh, this year and we'll be into early next year as well. So we've launched uh, Interstellar Ella, we've launched um, Wind in the Willows spin-off which is Toad and Friends, we also have Lou and the Bally Bunch which has recently launched, we've got Silly Sundays coming up and then Mush Mush season two is also uh, premiering early next year. So we've got quite a you know, volume of preschool content um, coming to Cartoon Network, supporting our originals, so things like Batwheels and Bugs Bunny Builders. So it's a you know really exciting time for us building Cartoonito, and it really just emphasises Warner Brothers Discovery's importance on preschool, especially in EMEA. Is there anything in the pipeline coming up that you that you are able to talk about? We've got a few things that we're really excited about that I can talk about, so I'll speak to those first. Um, for Cartoon Network, we are in production currently on Totally Spies Weep World, so that's season seven. Um, obviously, it's hugely exciting for us to be part of such a recognisable known IP that has done significantly well across many markets in, in EMEA and bringing it to you know, today's modern audience, so really you know, reimagining such a well-known IP for today is really exciting and it's looking amazing. And then we're also in production on Goat Girl, um, which is just a hilarious 
sitcom, kind of real relatable slice of life humour for that kind of tween audience. And so both of those shows, Totally Spies and Goat Girl, really appeal to our Cartoon Network strategy right now, which is to have comedy at the front and centre of what we do, um, ensuring that we're being more girl inclusive than we may have been previously, and um, really speaking to today's audience and reflecting the modern contemporary world that they live in. And I think those two shows are a great example of that. And then we've just started production on The Adventures of Lana Longbeard, which is another European title that we're really excited about. Um, it's early days, but uh, it's looking strong. So yeah, I'm looking forward to being able to introduce that to our Emmy audiences uh, probably in 2025. And one of us discoveries obviously a hugely well-known company cartoon network is a very well-known well-loved well-established brand what is it that makes a cartoon network show a cartoon network show and not nickelodeon or mm. um, okay what makes a cartoon network show something for us is it, it really does need to be quite stand out quite distinctive both in terms of the visual language of the show, the aesthetic, comedy of course is something that I think has been synonymous with Cartoon Network for a really long time. I think the, the key thing for partners and producers to think about is we need to balance what we have from the originals pipeline, so from Warner Brothers Animation, from Hanna-Barbera Studios Europe with the third party IP that we work with, so we are looking for things that we couldn't do ourselves. So we, we do see a lot of pitches and get you know told quite a lot, oh, this, this is a Cartoon Network show. And sometimes it can maybe look and feel like one, but it's, it feels too similar to something we could do ourselves. We're looking for something we wouldn't do ourselves or something that we feel comes along at the right time and is cohesive to our strategy, like I was mentioning about being comedy first, but open to other genres playing into that maybe fantasy or adventure or mystery, um, but absolutely being girl inclusive whilst still keeping our boy fans um, entertained and obviously um, you know, reflecting the life that they live today and the world that they live in. Uh, I think that's something that's really exciting and quite special really about Cartoon Network and I think that's what holds us apart and keeps us kind of distinguished in the content space with creators and, and producers and especially in European animation as well it's a, an opportunity for us to really stand out. Is there anything specific that you're looking for at the moment for both Cartoon Network and Cartoonito that maybe that you might feel that there's a gap on, in your slate somewhere or something you really think oh I'd, re I'd really like to get a show that's X, Y or Z? We don't really have a specific brief in terms of um, what we're looking for for Cartoon Network or Cartoonito we do try and keep it quite broad just to allow that open mind really when we come to conferences and festivals um, but of course we, we have uh, you know demos that we're looking for um, but there's not like a oh I need a you know unicorn pirate space adventure <laughs> it's like no 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 it's not that specific um, I mean I'd say for Cartonito we're looking for known IP strong characters that are relatable for kids needs to have a unique comedy voice as part of it and visually something that feels energetic in pace not frantic um, so it needs to have warmth it needs to have heart and something that the potential partner feels will complement our slate of content that we already have on Cartonito and what's coming so I would certainly suggest that before coming to pitch us before connecting with us 
really think about, really do your research in terms of what's already on the service right now and what you've maybe read in press releases or what you, you see as coming and maybe where you think those gaps are. And we'd love to find out you know, more about the ideas that people can bring to us with that in mind. And then for Cartoon Network, we're looking for shows that target seven to nine year olds, boys and girls, but certainly keeping in mind that more girl inclusive angle in terms of that appeal. So maybe strong female characters or stories that we feel are, are gonna resonate with our audience. Comedy first and things that will bring in modern themes. So contemporary values, making sure that you know the kids feel seen, feel heard and can celebrate their uniqueness, their individuality, which of course for that audience is there, you know, coming into that preteen point in their life is a really important part of them justifying themselves to the world around them and finding their place, finding their tribe and where they fit into that. So I think that's hopefully helpful for producers to keep in mind. And of course, visually distinctive, pacey, surprising, irreverent, not edgy uh, content is always something that we're keeping our eye out on. And you mentioned known IP there. What's your stance when it comes to originals? So we do look at originals. Um, for us, as I said, it's about the balance, really, in terms of our known IP that we have from the studio side of things and then third-party IP. I think especially now in this really difficult, challenging landscape where things are becoming a lot more segmented and fragmented, it's a lot easier, in a way, to hedge your bets and you know place your all of your internal kind of skills knowledge budget <laughs> support on something that already has a little bit of an awareness a little bit of kind of existence in the marketplace and that has that affinity that you can bring to your networks it's really hard to cut through in such a crowded landscape so for us i think known ip is is the way I think we're going to end up steering but that's not to say that if we found something really special with an original that we wouldn't go for it it's just going to be about balancing that mix of what we feel our slate needs to give the breadth and variety that we want for both Cartoonito and Cartoon Network but in a way that we feel is it's complementing the original slate that we have and in tone with the brands that we're you know looking to support. Can you talk a bit about how Cartoonito is expanding? Because it's expanding globally, isn't it? And I know you're focused on EMEA, so sort of within that region, it's kind of migration from a from a programming block to to an actual channel. Yeah, sure. So um, we, as I was mentioning, we've rolled out Cartoonito across EMEA this year, and in a lot of cases, we wanted to kind of introduce it to the audience in a, a slightly sort of soft way to start with. So it started as a block. And the intention was always really to bring it into a full channel. And I think what we're seeing is with viewership really changing, you know, the way kids consume content now is evolving continually. Um, but what we're seeing is that those, those younger viewers, the, the littlest kids, for us, the measured audience is you know, four to six year olds. And we're, we're finding that we weren't really playing in that space before. And we saw that gap. We saw that opportunity and that's why we've really kind of honed in on and are really kind of doubling down on the importance of preschool content, the importance of Cartonito for us as WBD in the EMEA. I think it, it works slightly differently in the other regions, but for us we'll, you know, we'll really be looking for those 
standout opportunities that will really allow us to make our mark in that preschool space. Germany's Leonine Studios last year acquired a 25% stake in fellow Munich-headquartered company Toon to Tango, a kids' animation specialist founded in 2019 by Joe Darris and Hans-Ulrich Stuff, whose previous credits include over 100 episodes of the series Mia and Me. Darris spoke with Karolina Kaminska about the possibility that Leonine is soon to increase its investment in the business and the way in which it's already using artificial intelligence to speed up some processes but still retains emphasis on human creativity. So my name's Joe, Joe Darris. I uh, am a partner of Tune to Tango. We're a production, distribution, licensing, development, anything you want, entity based, specialised in uh, kids and family. Uh, based in Munich, Germany. And tell us a little bit about what's going on at Toon to Tango at the moment. Alright, so there's a lot going on at Toon to Tango at the moment. Um, we've, uh, we're just finishing the production on Agent 203, which has been commissioned by Super RTL. Um, we delivered this year uh, Monster Loving Maniacs, uh, also commissioned by Super RTL, not on air yet in Germany, but um, doing quite well in, uh, in the UK on uh, CBBC and also in the Nordic countries where it's already airing. Um, we are in production on um, a new show, something we pitched here at Cartoon Forum in the famous um, Corona Cartoon Forum uh, called Hefa's Yellow and that show is now in production, um, will be delivered in February 25. Um, and we just started two weeks ago on the production of Santa.com, our first full-length feature film. And can you talk a bit about the company's strategy, the sorts of projects that you, you get involved with? Yeah, maybe something important to say is that uh, Tunta Tango in uh, last year, about a year ago, we sold 25% of our shares to Leonine. And, and we're in discussion with them to share another 25%, or to sell another 25%, and to set up a larger entity those discussions are looking really good, but it's too early to confirm or deny whether that will happen. But uh, in the next few weeks, I think that we will, um, we will have a major announcement to make yeah? and that will make a big difference, uh, both for Toon to Tango and for Leonine, in setting up uh, an animation and kids and children's division within the bigger entity, which is Leonine. So, so what does that mean then for Two to Tango? Why, is, why does that, that make sense for you to, to, to sell that stake? Well, for Leonine it makes sense because they didn't have an animation team. Uh, for us it makes sense because uh, being part of the bigger entity allows us to uh, accelerate our growth. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Also true, not only our internal growth basically is in our own hands, but uh, especially our internal or organic growth is in our own hands, but especially external or inorganic growth uh, is something where, together with Leonine, we will build a strategy on that and want to become or hoping to become a major player in the kids and family market in Europe over the next few years. All right, um, and so Cartoon Forum, why do you come to this event? What, what attracts you to it? Well, you know, we've been coming to Cartoon Forum forever. <laughs> And we also frequently pitch stuff, not always, but frequently. Um, it's always a good test to see if what you're doing has a resonance in the market. You know, if you're developing stuff, you sit, it's, it's more, more, more or less laboratory work. 
you sit in your little laboratory, you know, mixing your potions and hoping that once it comes out of it, this is something cool. And, but you don't really know. And here, um, you throw it in front of the lions and you know. Yeah, you know whether it has potential or not. In terms of financing Cartoon Forum, um, I can't complain because like Hey Fuzzy Yellow is something which initiated here and eventually we got it financed, but um, I can't really say that um, Cartoon Forum is the best way to get your show financed. It's the best way to start getting it out there, I would say. But after that, it's still the same <sighs> gruesome process. <laughs> <laughs> of, um, you know, going around the world on your knees and trying to get the money together to make your show. Yeah, okay. Um, all right, so moving on to AI, why is it such a hot topic at the moment? Well, I think it's a hot topic because it's a hot topic. It's not a hot topic because we're in animation. It's a hot topic because it's changing the world on so many levels. Specifically in our business, I think it has potential to facilitate certain processes, to speed up certain processes, um, maybe even to change the way we work um, on some levels, but I, I don't expect it to replace creativity. Um, and I think that's the main point, that's the, the creativity point. Will AI be able to do the work of a human mind in terms of creating things, in terms of finding original angles, in terms of, I don't know, in terms of making something which is different than everything which is out there. I don't know, I, I seriously doubt that, but I do think that if uh, the human mind comes up with an amazing idea, that AI can be an enormous help in accelerating the development process, in accelerating, or in, in providing options, more options than we ever had before in, in, in look and feel and visual development. You know? Visual development is very expensive and up until now, you know, you come up with an idea, you write it out, maybe you write a script or an outline or a couple of springboards or whatever, and then, okay, you gotta give it a look. So you bring in a designer, it costs a lot of money, you have to find that money somewhere, if you don't like what that designer is doing, maybe you bring in a second designer. Costs again a lot of money. With AI, you can go in 20 different directions and just do it, and then judge: well, Do I like this? Do I like that? Do I like that? And that was before that was impossible. So it's it's um, it's like you come into an ice cream bar that has 50 flavors, and before it only had two. But then, once we've chosen the flavor, I think we still have to develop it with humans for various reasons. One of the reasons being insecurity on, on the right situation. Um, so I think we still have to go the human way and develop it further with humans. So to expand on, on that, um, can you give some examples of how AI is, is currently being used, what it's, what it's being used to actually do? Uh, well, specifically in our industry, I think, I think the, the when we, ask, when we ask for funding, for instance, media or whatever, um, we're asked a lot of stuff. We need to provide, we ask for funding for development, but somehow they expect us to already have developed it for 50%, because they want to see a lot of stuff in order to see whether the development money they're giving us is going to the right project. But it's a bit chicken and egg. And 
before we had to take a risk because we had to invest in order to provide the level of stuff that these funding bodies require to judge whether or not they want to support your project. And now we can eliminate the financial component to almost zero because we can do, especially the graphic component using mid-journey and stuff like that. Um, a little bit less the writing component because it's still the idea which, uh, which at that moment we're primarily pitching. Um, and, and chat GPT 3 or 4, you have to provide the idea, then it can do the work, but you still have to provide the idea. If you type in, in your prompt, give me 20 ideas for, for a kid's show, what comes out is really bad. Yeah, even if you specify it, a kid's show about a frog and an elephant with three feet, that, with three legs, that only eats apples and is... But again, it's, then it's you doing the creative, not ChatGPT. So that doesn't work in my eyes. Um, so primarily for that, for the graphic development, dubbing also still doesn't work. Um, it, it works, but it, it doesn't feel the, it doesn't um, replace the emotions of a real actor's voice. It, it does the work perfectly. You hear in another language what the, what the guy or the girl said in the original language, but it, it feels flat, it feels... So that doesn't work yet, maybe one day it will. Um, what's less relevant for us is lip sync, that works as well, but it doesn't have the intonation, it doesn't have the emotion from, from real voices yet. Um, I think those at the moment are the main things and then there are many people exploring automating certain things through AI, for instance, I don't know, um, throw in a script and at the other side an animating comes out. <laughs> Will that ever work? It, it already works, but it's crap. So will that ever really work? I have my doubts. Uh, I, I think the human component will always be there. But again, the AI component can facilitate and speed up certain things, but it will never replace the human component. You have touched on how it can be useful, but what would you say are the main positives that AI will bring to the business? Well, I think the main positives of AI are saving money, yeah? where before you had a human component that you have to pay by the hour AI, you pay a monthly subscription and you still need a human that operates the AI, but the AI can do much more in a much shorter period of time, so your development cost goes down. And it can maybe help you generate ideas, or it can not generate ideas, but it can make you shape, help you shape ideas into different directions. Um, kind of like the brainstorm room. Uh, just throw your ideas into the AI and see what comes out, and that could be the same effect as a brainstorm room. So you can again save money and save time there. Uh, but but there's always the um, the legal insecurity that will not allow you at this point in time to really use that material in a series. If you invest six million in a series and later on somebody sues you because you used an AI tool that somehow used material made by that person, um, you can't risk that. Uh, you really can't risk that. So as long as legislation is not clear there and as long as there's no clear solution for that, it will always be limited to development, where it saves time and money. Yeah. How much time? I would say it can save up to 20-30% of your time budget, and in terms of money it can save 
60 to 80 percent of your money budget uh, development. What would you say are the biggest challenges, issues, threats that AI can pose? Well, the legal challenge. If we can find a solution for that, uh, you know, if, if we have legislation that says, yes, you can use it, don't worry about it. Um, but even then, assuming that there is already legislation for a certain type of AI where AI, the AI is only fed with stuff where the authors of that stuff have given their approval. But even then, what you get out of that is something which you can use, but which everybody else can also use. So you can't copyright that because you didn't create it. So you, and a machine created it. And there, there is no copyright for something a machine creates. Only something a human creates you can copyright. So that is a huge problem. If I make a series with that visual and I can't protect that visual if I want to make uh, toys or whatever, and anybody can use that visual to make t-shirts and toys, then, then I have something which is worth nothing. So I will always need, at this point with the current legislation, I will always need a human element to it and change it a little bit with a human so that I have an author, a creator that can copyright that and I think that's the biggest challenge this whole legislation around it seeing making sure that whatever comes out of it is proprietary and is mine and not everybody's and will it lead to will AI lead to job losses uh, yes and no because the, like you know when computers first appeared everybody said no computers are going to take over everything and nobody's going to have a job anymore and that really didn't happen because a lot of people start working in the computer bro in the computer sector i think we'll see the same here i mean uh, i would love to find a guy who's really a uh, guy or girl who's super good at prompting <laughs> yeah? so that type of jobs will appear and people who will work with ai and who will operate in a way AI and will become AI specialists, uh, we'll need people like that, for sure. Yeah. So those are new jobs. But on the other hand, yes, AI will automate certain things. And you know, something you used to need 10 people for, maybe you will only need four in the future for that same job. But it'll, it'll get replaced by jobs somewhere else. Can you give some examples um, of a production, or it might be a trailer, or a, a short film, or an advert for something that has been produced with AI that you've seen that has, you know, has particularly caught your attention? Well, let me start by saying what we use it for. So the pitch here at Cartoon Forum that you saw was uh, all the visuals, except for the two main characters, all the visuals were created with AI. We didn't tell anybody. Nobody asked, and I think most people didn't even see it, but um, that's a great example of where uh, AI made a good impression because we got really good reactions to it. Uh, also other stuff we're developing um, for the visual development, we're using AI. Um, one of the things uh, that I didn't like is, um, I forgot the name of the company, but there's, there's an American company who recently came in the press by saying we, we've made an animation series fully developed and it's written by AI, designs of AI, it's animated by AI. It didn't do anything to me. It had no heart, it had no... But maybe that's personal. Maybe I'm exaggerating there, but I think the human component will always need to be there. Um, another clip, again, I don't know who made it, but recently I saw a video of somebody who made a teaser for a non-existing movie 
completely in AI. Didn't have a story, but visually I was super impressed by that. Yeah, the things you can create, wow, yeah, wow. But it's a lot of work. I know for our pitch, it's easy to, cre to create a character, but if you have a series of characters and you want people to have the feeling that all those characters belong in the same universe, it's hours and hours and hours of prompting. It's not easy. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit more about how you have been experimenting with it? Yeah, it takes hours. There's no secret. It takes hours and hours and hours of prompting. You change one word, and you, so the first one's easy. Yeah, you say I want this and I want that, and I want it in that style and with that lighting, and you try a couple of times and say, Hey, this look, this looks great. And then you make character number two, and you do you start working on the character, this and that and that style, and, that, and it comes out, looks great, but it can't be in the same show. It's not. It doesn't work together. And then you need to start fine-tuning and change a word here and change a word there and feed the visual of the first one into the as a visual prompt. Doesn't always work very well either. So it's just hours and hours of changing words, adding a word, removing a word, putting in a, a comma somewhere until you've got something which you say, ah, yeah, yeah, this this works well together. And then you go to character number three. So it's hard work. It's hours and hours of work. That's it. And how, how quickly do you think that the use of AI in content and animation will progress? I, it, will, it will progress. Um, I don't really know. But there are areas where it's clear, like dubbing for me, once they get that sorted out, once they can get emotion in there, uh, or once the AI is able to copy the emotion better from the original voice into the new language, I think that's, that's uh, something which will go really, really fast. Probably also in, in, in parts of the animation process that you can kind of automate. I don't know if that's really AI, it's more, yeah, it is AI, but it's more automating a process than really using AI to generate or create. Yeah, yeah I think those things will be the, the, the quicker developments, the things where creativity uh, still involved, uh, automating creative processes. I think that's going to be really challenging uh, and I think it's... Mm, maybe I'm just too old for that, but I, I don't think it's ever going to 100% replace the human mind. How much influence do you think that AI will, will have on um, animation and content in, in the future? It's, it's a difficult question. Um, I think the idea, a good idea can come from AI, but you need to feed the AI and you need to ask the right questions to the AI. And basically, if you don't ask the right questions, you will never get a good idea out of AI. So the original good idea needs to come from the one asking the questions. So I don't see how you can solve that. Yeah? if you type in give me 10 great ideas you you get nothing <laughs> so you really need to be specific about what you want and as soon as you start to be specific it's your idea it's not the AI's idea the AI will help you develop it but it's still your idea so I, I, I don't I don't think that will change very fast um, the technical stuff that will change fast yeah in essence there's there's two elements there's 
for AI this, in, in what we do. There's a creative process, and there's a technical process. And the technical process, and I don't know where they will start, I know that several universities are doing research on, on that, how to automate, um, but that's not a creative process, it's just a smarter way to do certain things faster and more efficient, uh, technical things faster and more efficient. And since animation is very technical, there will be a huge leap there for sure. Yeah? The creative part, I don't know. If we start believing that a computer can be as creative as, as we are, that's a scary thought, no? Belfast-based animation studio 16 South is behind children's series including Odo for Paramount-owned Channel 5's Milkshake and was also at Cartoon Forum pitching new series A Horse Named Steve, its first Canadian co-production working together with Nelvana. 16 South founder and creative director Colin Williams has been among the industry's most vocal critics of using artificial intelligence in TV and he spoke about the issues with Karolina Kaminska. I'm Colin Williams, I'm the creative director at 16 South. It's another busy year for us in the studio. We um, are just beginning uh, production on season two of Odo, and we're thrilled that we've managed to, to pre-sell it to all of the broadcasters that came on board the last time around. So that's exciting to do another um, 52 stories. We're just wrapping uh, production on season one of The Coop Troop, which we're making with Micros um, in Paris. Um, it has premiered on France TV, and it's starting um, it's cycled across the world now, so it started in Ireland, starts in UK in, in October, so we're really, really pleased with that as well. Um, and I suppose really um, the big thing for us is just always new development, new shows, and we have a slate of 12 ideas, and they're, um, I suppose it's, it's us really kind of moving away from only doing preschool. So we've uh, two preschool shows, um, and a whole bunch of six to nine, and some family stuff as well. Um, so not just animation, but um, some live action stuff as well. So we're really just always um, trying to tell stories that we, that we love and stories that matter. Um, and uh, we have a bunch of, of new shows that are in development with, with, with networks. And we have uh, a bunch of co-productions all, um, all kind of set up already. So we're, yeah, we're, exci we're excited. We're loving it. Um, and we continue to work um, as one company with, with three parts, you know, like a shamrock. So you know, we're busy in, in original development, uh, the studio is busy as well, um, and our rights um, company, 16 South Rights, is super busy uh, pre-selling and doing uh, finished sales as well. And Cartoon Forum, why do you come here? What do you like about the event? So um, Cartoon Forum always feels like the start of the year. It's, it's, for us, it's always the first market, and we always come, um, we come every year. Um, it's our ninth year, and we, we kind of love to launch new shows here for the first time. And you know, if you get a good slot in, in the Blue Room, for example, which we have, you get the opportunity to either make a big impact, for good or for bad. So if you make a good job of your, of your pitch, you impress a lot of broadcasters. <laughs> if you manage to screw it up, you make a really bad impression to a lot of broadcasters. So, so it's always a challenge. Um, and we, we, love the, we love coming here and showing a new project for the very first time. And this year, it's uh, a new show called A Horse Named Steve. It's our first Canadian 
co-production as well. So we've managed to go 16 years without doing a Canadian co-production. So it's our first, first co-pro with Canada and our partners on that are Nilvana and we're dead pleased because we've been wanting to work with them for years. So yeah, we're excited. It's a, it's a 2D series. It's um, dry humour, so the whole Irish-Canadian co-pro thing works because the humour is it's a real shared sense of humour. And yeah, we're kind of excited about it. Um, <coughs> it's, it's, got a, it's got a minimal look, it's got a, a very different kind of look, and it feels kind of handmade, which is kind of what a lot of our stuff always has done as well. So, um, moving on to AI, why do you think, or why is AI such a, a hot topic right now? It feels like AI is, is is like the complete buzzword of 2023 and you can't go anywhere without people talking about it. Even coming through the airport yesterday, you know, tech companies are, are boasting that they're they're offering all of these kind of services, including AI. And and I guess we wonder, you know, how is that going to impact our industry? Um, I'm all for saving time and looking for efficiency when it comes to things which are processes, you know, for, you know, so so part of the, part of the animation process. So so things which are processes, absolutely fine. But when we start to consider that, that AI can be used to generate ideas or creative or story or artwork, that's going to be that's going to get scary. You know, and I'm I've already been quite outspoken about how I think it's it's not going to bring anything of of long term value to, to our business. I think it's going to open up a lot of issues for people who maybe maybe do use it for, for art development or, or concept development because essentially a computer a computer doesn't create anything it just gathers things that which already exist and that's what AI, AI is doing so it, it's not something we're, we're rushing to get involved in um, because the, the power of the power of the creative is, is what makes a great show it's it's not a computer what do you think is the biggest threat that it brings? I think, this, I think you, there are a bunch of threats. So, I mean, it's, it's too easy to, to go to a command line and, and, and ask, ask the computer to, to create a character based on all of these attributes. And, and what you get back looks amazing. It's really polished. But that's essentially a, you know, a hundred or thousand images, which no, sorry, a hundred, a hundred or thousand pieces of images which belong to somebody else. Um, you know, you know, and, th and while it might feel like you're being smart to do that, and no one will know, it's probably only a matter of days or weeks or months away that that they'll become a, a technology which can reverse engineer. You know, uh, you know all of the bits in an image and identify if something has been taken from somewhere it shouldn't have. You know, and that's going to that would land any producer into into the hottest water. You know, but also, also, you know, I, I suppose at a time when broadcaster budgets are decreasing and um, and, and producers are trying to trying to close a finance gap, it's too easy to think about. <coughs> you know, how can you use AI to generate a story or storylines or story ideas? You know, and. I think, I think, you know, and, and while while it, 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 it's it's useful to to, to kickstart ideas, if you use it to kickstart a process, and then you know, you know, your creative team take it from there, you're not really kind of you're not allowing yourself the the the, the width and, and the breadth of what could be possible from the outset, because you're kind of already closing down the the ability to, to think big, you know. Um, I don't think, I don't welcome it to be honest. Um, does it scare me? It scares me because I think we're, we're, all we're going to see in, in, as an industry is a decrease in quality.
um, and that decrease in quality of storytelling, decrease in artwork and and just a, a loss of, of heart, you know, from, from shows. Computers don't do heart, they don't do emotions, you know, and you know, and if, if all we end up with is more of you know, lots lots more of low rent stuff, then we're 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 nothing but we're just we're just poorer. You know, the whole industry is just poorer and, and kids are, are poorer for it as well. Do you think that AI could lead to job losses? I think that AI is absolutely going to lead to job losses. I mean, you know, finding efficiencies where you know computers can can fulfil a, a a a process. That's 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 a that's a, that's an easy yes. It will mean less people on a, on a show and therefore lower budgets. It absolutely will. You know, and our industry doesn't probably need that. It needs more help to to support and to employ more people, not not less. And what do you say to, to people who say that it won't necessarily lead to job losses, but it will it will lead to different jobs, job changes, or yes, some jo jobs might get lost, but then new jobs will open up. I think I think anyone who's thinking that that um, the use of AI is going to create job opportunities, I don't believe that at all. Um, I mean, ChatGTP is is something which everyone and anyone can use. It's so accessible; it doesn't need a skilled skilled person to, to, to use it so I don't think it's going to it's not going to create any new jobs I don't believe so you said at the start that you know as a tool in certain ways it might it might be efficient it could be a good thing so could, could you talk a little bit about where you do think it could be useful I suppose at the moment we don't really know what AI is capable of you know and if, if it was able to uh, accurately um, produce um, lip sync you know, or, or mouth, or you know, anima animated mouth ships accurately to a voice track. That would be incredible because that's a very time-consuming, laborious pro uh, process that really no animator really enjoys doing anyway. Um, so things like that are in betweening. So things which which don't require creativity, they just require a process. I think that's 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 got to be a good thing. Um, and I suppose the whole and we, we've we've saw we've 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 seen lots of things online and. Um, of taking a voice sample from a, from a, a voice artist and using that to essentially dub or, or redub um, an entire script. So, if it was possible, for example, to use your original English voice. So, for example, on Odoo, we um, we have two kids that play the two lead parts. We've had uh, an eight-year-old boy and an eight-year-old girl. So, if we were to take their voices and somehow use their voices through the capability of AI to dub it into other, another language using their voice, that would be incredible, that would be insane. It would save a lot of time, save a lot of budget. And actually what it would also do would, would make, make the dubbing of, of, of animation into other languages possible because there are many countries that it's just, it's just too expensive to dub um, into, into, into a smaller language, maybe for a smaller country where a broadcaster can't afford the budget to do that. So that would be interesting. Will it be authentic? I don't know. I mean, I suppose this is the whole thing. It's always about, you always want any voice to sound authentic and of the people and of the place. So we probably have a little bit to go, but things like that actually are, are exciting because it makes what we do more accessible. Yes, it probably leads to job losses as well in terms of you know there's not the requirement for you know producer to work for months on on that project on that project or the voice um, you know the voice artist to work for for a long period either. But I mean that that as the, as the downside, the upside being we can actually make our, our work more accessible to every kid in every home in every country, and that's kind of what we 
excited to do. Are you or will you be considering experimenting with AI at all? If I'm honest, of all the things that I want to achieve this year and next year, learning to use AI is not one of them. It's not something that I feel is going to give us any any benefit really at all in terms of the creative process of of think you know the, the ideas that we that, that we that we create take years to to birth because they come from they come from somewhere deep inside you know whether it's me or you know the rest of you know my team or other creators that we work with these things come from a special place and they're not you know I don't think there's any form of technology that can cheat that or, or short short circuit it you know and we're we're not in the business of trying to carbon copy or make a show which emulates a very, you know another really successful show out, out there it's not how it's not us it's not what we do so of all the things I want to do in life <laughs> figuring out how to use AI, AI is not it's not on the shopping list right now and based on conversations with that you've had with other people and I'm sure you've had quite a lot of them how much influence do you think it will have on animation and content in the future I know that there are producers who are creating pitches at the moment with AI generated characters, backgrounds and everything and I suppose part of you thinks that's a, that's a bit of a cheat because you're essentially saving yourself loads of money and loads of time because you have something which looks good but it's just, it's illegal, you're just getting into a legal minefield. It's not, it's not something which we would be interested in even considering. Colin Williams speaking with Karolina Kaminska. That's all for this episode, but you can hear more interviews by tuning in to our C21 FM internet radio station from Monday. The podcast will be back next Friday. In the meantime, stay up to date with all the latest international TV industry news and views by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Weddale. Thanks for listening. 